Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good! We'll take you to places most fans never go. Will Lutz from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Welcome inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak bringing you the latest and greatest on the Saints. I thought, I thought I, my mic was off or something because I saw you doing movement. Those are thumbs up. Those are the positive reaction. Yeah. We got a, a very happy birthday to our, our main man at wide receiver, Chris Olave. We'll be talking about him. Also, uh, Derek Carr had some things to say to the Fresno Bee out in California. Uh, some interesting thoughts on the Raiders and then get a little bit into some free agent possibilities for the black and gold as we get closer i guess to training camp it's still about a month away which is a long time but yeah we're gonna get into to chris olave chris olive juice because i olive juice him too i don't know if someone gets that reference great if not we'll move on i think you could also use elephant shoes but okay first things first I do want to congratulate the LSU Fighting Tigers. They, they are the champions. And I also will say that that is my excuse for why our recording schedule has been kind of all over the place and why I have not really had a ton of time to do any real research for this podcast. But that will change. So I appreciate everyone for sticking with us over the last kind of three, four weeks because that's kind of been crazy. As if anyone doesn't know, it's in the radio business. Basically, it's like, okay, what's happening right now? That's what we're going to have to deal with. And so that's what's been going on for the last month. But that's over now. So we have really nothing to do but to focus on this podcast. And so that's what we'll do. Uh, but but yeah, so Steve, uh, uh, how, how have you enjoyed that that uh, championship run? It's, it's taken the energy out of me. <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty impressive. Obviously, the team started out number one preseason in the polls, uh, went through most of the college baseball season dominating, slipped up a little at the end that caused them, I think it was like five or six in the rankings. And we saw the team, there were a lot of questions and concerns going into the SEC tournament, and then that carried into the NCAA tournament. And the gauntlet, though, that this Tiger team had to get through to end up coming home with the national title, pretty impressive. And uh, I don't know. I, 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 I guess I didn't really doubt the Tigers could pull it out, but I, I was concerned, I will well, say. Well, they lost 24-4. Four, four. That kind of felt kind of weird. Yeah, and, that, and that just in general, the postseason, I was like, I didn't know how the pitching staff would hold up, and they were fantastic. So have you seen Super Troopers? Yes. The the uh, I feel like the meme that would work after that 24-4 game would be like when they're at the shooting range, and he's like, how's your aim today? And you're like, oh, it's great. And he's like, what about that little guy? I'm like, oh, that little guy? Don't worry about that little guy. <laughs> now, it works for me. And then you go out and win 18-4. to 
But yeah, that's been, it's been crazy. And I've always said like the College World Series postseason is the most insane postseason because, you know, LSU played five games to get through the Super Regionals. Then they played eight games in Omaha. Anyway, the LSU fans took like 70,000 jello shots. Well, we don't need to talk about it. But the reason I'm bringing this up as far as it's concerned to the Saints, other than apologizing for not doing a good job with the podcast, is the last time LSU won a title was 2009. Do you know what happened? Immediately after that, we went to Saints training camp, and then they won. They went. They went on to win a win a win a Super Bowl. So hey, history uh, almost never repeats itself in that way. But hey, we, maybe we have it. Maybe we have it this year. Maybe this is the year that uh, every all the ducks are in a row. I don't know. It'd be nice. I mean, obviously, it seems like eons ago that 2009 season. You know. Okay. It was quite a while. <laughs> it was quite a while, but it was still a whole lot of fun. And so this year, obviously, the big question is Derek Carr. And one thing I have always said and one thing I bring up a lot as it pertains to NFL players, NFL quarterbacks, success in the NFL, success in football in general, success in any sports capacity is something that coaches talk about a lot, but I feel like gets kind of brushed over when everyone wants to talk about, well, why didn't he throw for more yards? Why didn't he complete this pass? Why why did he make this mistake in this big moment? And I think in a lot of instances, you need to kind of step back and take a broader view and ask the question, is this guy willing to do the work required to be a star in the NFL? It's a question you have to answer in the draft. It's a question you have to answer in free agency. It's a question you have to answer every year on your own roster, right? Like, I don't want Tom Brady who got picked in the third round and is like, oh yeah, everyone's being fair to me about how good I can be. I want Tom Brady in the sixth round who's made it his sole mission to prove everybody wrong. I don't want Joe Burrow at Ohio State getting handed the job over Dwayne Haskins and and just, uh, just a solid quarterback, maybe goes in the third round of the draft and whatever. I want Joe Burrow at LSU after being told, no, you don't have the starting job. And he says, okay, bet. And you that's who I want, right? And so that's the reason when I when I look at this story in the Fresno Bee, they talked to Derek Carr, who was out at a DC for Kids event in Fresno, and he talked to the Fresno Bee. And we were talking about this before he came on. I think sometimes these interviews in these random locations are actually really informative because I think sometimes the players' guards come down because they're like, oh, well, what, this probably won't even get back to New Orleans. You know, why, why would it? And then they remember the internet exists. But, you know, he was very forthcoming in this interview about his time with the Raiders and how it came to an end. And, you know, he said, I was very upset. I was mad. And he was mad because they benched him, not because he had to move on, not because the team was struggling. He was mad because those last two games, they decided that protecting his health for monetary purposes and for potential trade purposes was more important than him getting a chance to just say goodbye to the Raiders fans. And that pissed him off, right? And so that was that was step one of like, okay, I'm moving on. They ended up not even trading him. It didn't matter. They would have had to guarantee some of that money if he had gotten hurt. But he said, he's like, I would have just given it. Like, I would have rather played. He said this as well. Spend nine years at a place. You have all the records and you can play at a high level. And for something to get in the way, whether it was for whatever reason, money related or whatever, injury related, I would have said, I don't even want the money just to play two more times in front of our fans. I didn't get that opportunity. So it definitely lit a fire inside of me to keep going. And, and like, that's kind of where this interview went. If you needed kind of a motivation moment to go all out in the final, I don't know how many years did you have a three, four, five years, good years left in, in that quarterback's body. You know, maybe he 
plays till he's 40 like Drew Brees, but you can't really guarantee that. Well, I do think that when you hear quotes like that and you kind of appreciate how Derek Carr arrived in New Orleans, that there is definitely that kind of moment where it's like, okay, I do believe he's going to show up and he's going to go full bore all the way. He's going to demand excellence out of everybody. He's going to look at everybody on the roster and maximize what they can do, right? Like that's important to any NFL team. And I do think that what you see in Derek Carr this year is, is a bit of that. Obviously it's not the same kind of Genesis moment as a Joe Burrow or a Tom Brady, but I do feel like he's going to be able to prove people wrong this season. And that's the type of energy I want as a quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, I guess. Thank you, Josh McDaniels and the Raiders organization uh, in a sense for reigniting whatever fire maybe was kind of, wavering inside car but i i think it's just one of those situations obviously to me he comes across as a big time competitor too obviously and in a situation where things weren't going well last season and to be benched at the end of the year definitely hurt him hurt his soul and i I totally believe like he wanted to go out on a high in front of the fans for the fans because of what he's done for the organization and been there for that long. And he even talked about it with us. It's, it's a little weird for him now wearing, you know, black and gold compared to the silver and black. He never, he never imagined that day would come. Um, So yeah. And and we, you know, we've heard the talk too about that desire to get back to Vegas this year for the Super Bowl, just because it's there and rub it in their face even more. And we got to love that. He was also asked like whether if the Raiders had kind of changed their mind and wanted to bring him back, would he would he have gone back? And you know, he said, once they made my wife cry, that was pretty much over. <laughs> it's just like, Jesus, guys, why are the Raiders such a trashy organization? Unreal. It doesn't right? matter what city they're in. It's just like anyone who leaves is just like, man, that was rough. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Saints are happy to have Derek Carr. And I think the Saints are happy to even have the opportunity to have Derek Carr. And that's where this team, if they are going to repeat the magic of that 2009 season, obviously that wasn't Drew's first season, but it was pretty early. And it was also another character who felt like he had basically been passed over in the job that he had owned and was suddenly cast out and wanted to prove himself. I think while it was three years down the road from that, I still think you had a very similar moment there. And if you are the Saints and you are hoping to catch lightning in a bottle the way you did that year, it's going to be because this is Derek Carr at his best and he's going to be at his best because he wants to prove everybody wrong. So that's kind of that long form thing. I just thought it was very illuminating and you hear, you're going to hear a lot of that this season and it could go the other way. It could be, man, Derek Carr just doesn't have it. But I, I think you're far more likely going to see Derek Carr kind of at his peak. Yeah, I agree with you. And the fact of uh, the matter too is the fact you look at the NFC and man, Derek Carr better be in the upper echelon because it is weak sauce out there. It feels like all the strong arms, all the strong signal callers are in the AFC. Well, it's definitely true. And yeah, I don't think Derek Carr is going to be upset about not having to face Pat Mahomes twice a year. And that's going to wrap us up in the opening segment of this episode of Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. You can follow myself on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow Steve at Steve Geller WWL. You can follow the show at Saints underscore pod. And you can follow us on YouTube at WWL Sports. We're going to be coming back and talking about free agents that might fit the Saints. That's a question. We're going to answer it. Also, we're going to talk about Chris 
MF Olave and hear from his appearance on the Jim Rome Show. Stick around. Inside Black and Gold, I'm Jeff Nowak, alongside Steve Geller. We are back on our schedule, baby. So let's move on to the next topic, which is, you know, who else is out there that wants to work hard, (laughs) right? Because again, everyone gets obsessed with big names, but it's not always about the name. It's about, are they at a point in their career where they can A, do the work, and B, are they willing to do the work? Like you saw with Kiko Alonso last year, (laughs) he he admitted he wasn't willing to do the work after one day and reti- and went to retirement because he was like, nah, I can't do this. I, I'm, I'm not into it because you have to be invested. And I think that's why when you see these big names out there, that's the question. It's not, can they still play a lot of time? It's like, okay, are they still in that mode where they're willing to put the, you know, the game ahead of their own best interests? Yeah, that, uh, And it's a little more complicated than people think. You brought up Alonzo and yeah, he was just like, forget football, forget this heat. I'm out last year. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, and good for him, right? Like, I think it would be a lot easier to just take a paycheck and play badly. Yeah. Right? Um, and he was like, no, I'm not going to do this. It's not, it's just not going to work. And, you know, I guess being honest with yourself is a positive trait. And he was honest with himself in that moment. But there are a lot of other free agents out there. And so we were, we went through, you know, yesterday and today to try to kind of identify one or two or maybe three names of guys who could be potential fits on this Saints roster. There's obviously a lot of injury questions that we don't have answers to yet. And maybe you get into camp and try to figure that out before you make any signings. But the Saints do have money to spend if they want to. So, Steve, who are a couple names of guys that you that you pulled out of the heap uh, that could benefit the Saints if they brought them in? Yeah, the big one for me and I think is an easy you know, fit. And you can you can tell probably right off the bat I'm going to linebacker and a guy like Juan Alexander who's been around here before. I think has got the experience. He knows the system, obviously, too. Uh, the relationships with Demario Davis and some of the other guys uh, seems like a, a perfect slide in and fill kind of, you know, that depth position. I'm definitely not expecting him to take a starter's role. Yeah. And just a guy that can give you those valuable snaps in a, you know, a reserve type of performance. You're not going to be relying on Quan Alexander every single down, but he is someone, even though he's frequently injured, when he is available, I feel like is someone that is a great, great contributor on the roster. And plus just a, a, a great voice for the locker room too. Not someone that, you know, deters anybody is as one that uplifts other guys in the locker room. It'd be pretty legendary. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and you know the Saints team obviously does love to bring guys back, right? So I don't think that's out of the question. You know, to his credit, he played in all 17 games for the Raiders. I'm sorry, the Raiders for Jets, the Jets yeah. last year. He started 12 games, 69 tackles, nice. You know, like he was productive. Uh, so you know, I don't think if you're looking at it and saying he just doesn't have it anymore, I mean, he he proved that he could stay healthy last year at the very least. So I could see that. I do think that if if that was kind of un, in the cards, you would have probably heard rumblings by now. So who knows? But that's a good one. I have a couple more at linebacker. I think there are guys out there at linebacker who could be potential fits if they get down to it and say, you know what, I will, I am willing to sign to be on a good defense to back up a Pete Warner. 
And, you know, this guy's Miles Jack, I think, is really intriguing. He's a guy who Doug Marone knows very well. He played for Doug in Jacksonville when Doug was the head coach. So, you know, I don't know. who know, I don't know if their relationship was good, but any connections like that usually are helpful. So he's a guy that I think would be interesting. He had 104 tackles last year for Pittsburgh. He's very athletic. He's only 27 years old. I think there's some more to mine there. And then the other guy is Zach Cunningham, a guy who's been hurt. You know, he might be a guy you bring in for a tryout and see if he still has it and maybe bring him in. Either way, I think that that's the kind of, if you're looking for a veteran addition, I think you're in the right realm there for sure. Is Linebacker feels like the position you definitely need a veteran to kind of shore up that group. And it's the position where I think there are veterans there to be to be taken advantage of if you do find yourself in need of one. Yeah, and another one for me uh, with some questions along the offensive line with guys, I'd be looking, you know, for for someone there as well. A name that stood out right off the bat on the the, the still the free agent list was kind of surprised to see like a George Fant still out there. I think it could be a good swing tackle for this team if you need them. A pretty good guy, guy that's seen plenty of starting experience too, and uh, if he's willing to take, you know, the the pay, I think would be a good rotational piece for you, kind of de- kind of deal. Yeah, you know, I I'm not willing to go anywhere at offensive line yet. I think the offense in general, I wasn't able to identify any like clear fits, and the reason is until I see some of these players on the field and kind of can assess where they're at and what yeah. beyond their health. I'm not going to make any big decisions at offensive line, right? If you get into the second week of camp and you just don't feel like Trevor Penning has it, especially as a starter this year, then I think you do have to start making some moves. Um, You brought in Billy Price. I think that shores up the interior offensive line. So I think you're good there. And then it's just a matter of how Caesar and and Trevor come back. Same at wide receiver. I'm not adding another piece at wide receiver unless I'm not comfortable with where Mike Thomas is. Because I think if he's there, then you have the pieces in the room. And like, sure, a guy like D-Hop would be great, but I don't think he's in the cards. Same thing with tight ends. Like, I'm not messing with tight end. I think that position is clean. Quarterbacks are not doing anything. Running backs, you're not doing anything unless unless you end up with a full season suspension from Alvin Kamara or something like that. And then we're calling right. Dalvin Cook up. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> and I mean, like, seriously, if, if suddenly you find out that Alvin's missing an entire season or maybe even has to go to jail or something like that, like, you just don't know right now. If it's six-game suspension, I think you're sitting there, but... That could change. But either way, right now, I'm good on it. The two positions that I think you probably are going to find them trying to trying to add some bodies at is just, I guess, one, which is the defensive line. I think you probably could serve to add one more defensive tackle and one more defensive end. Linval Joseph, I know he's up there in age, but I think he could be a good veteran addition, just a run stuffer. And I think that's probably, of, of all the bodies you have, what you are lacking is just a big dude who can just beat the run behind Colin Saunders like he's going to start but what happens if he goes down who fills that role I don't know if you have a guy right now who can do that and that maybe is Shelby Harris who was in that trade with the Broncos last year and the Seahawks I believe and then defensive end Yannick Ngakwe's out there nine and a half sacks last year Robert Quinn and then Al-Kadeen Muhammad obviously a member of that crazy 2017 draft class has been productive is very stable and it's just you're trying. I think you're just looking for another rotational piece where if a Peyton Turner doesn't take that step forward, you're not relying on him completely. Um, but to me, though, like somewhere on the defensive line, I think you could serve to add a piece or two. Yeah, I I, I totally see where you're going there, and I I I agree. Like the offensive line, 
there's still yeah too many questions of uh with Ruiz and and Penning to maybe make that move to add that body and I feel that way too with defensive end or the line you know you're expect we're expecting this breakout year from Peyton Turner if we start seeing you know maybe some questions in camp or the injury bug keeps popping up against for him do they then make a move at D line or do you think they maybe that's something they address right before camp. I'm not sure they'll address anything before camp. And and the reason being you're healthy right now. So anyone you bring in, you would have to cut somebody. Right. And I think if you were going to cut somebody, you would have done it already. Like they already signed Billy Price. They cut Yassir Duran. They signed the two wide receivers, Lynn Bowden and Kiki QT, QT, and they cut Malik Flowers. So like, I think if you were going to make that decision, you probably would have done it by now for the guys who are out there already. I just think, especially on the defensive side of the ball where you are healthy, like there's no real concerning injuries on the defensive side of the ball. Anthony Johnson is the only player that hasn't really been out there. And I don't even know, you know, he's a UDFA. Like it's just, it's just a guy. So I don't think, I think if you're bringing in a name like this, especially a veteran name that you know what to expect and it's more just can he get the work done kind of deal I think you're probably talking two or three weeks into camp and maybe if someone does suffer an injury if Peyton Turner does have that prototypical week-long absence because he'd stubbed the toe right like then you say okay fine we're gonna bring somebody in and we're gonna at least try to light a fire onto the guy but yeah for now I think you're safe out of all of them, to me, that's I I, I jumped at linebacker first just because yeah. that's the one spot I could see maybe an addition before camp kind of thing. Yeah, I think if yeah, I, I agree with you because that's just a position that I just don't know if you have the numbers there right now. Right, like, right. You are in a position where your best option to back up Pete Werner is Anthony Orgy, who I like, but is still a UDFA out of Vanderbilt, like Nephi Sewell, who, what are you doing? And that's just not what I want to see. <laughs> Granted, you know, we're talking about a position that may, or like a player that may never get on the field if there's health at the linebacker position. But I mean, this is the NFL. Like, are you, you can't bank on health. So yeah, I, I agree with you. If they're going to make a move prior to camp, it's going to be to bring in a veteran linebacker. Yeah, we were so confident uh, a year ago. And I know we're confident right now in the Saints corner group. And we see, we saw what happened where that, that uh, they got absolutely decimated because of injuries. Yeah, and the difference this year at linebacker is, you know, last year I think whether you expected to see what you got out of Caden Ellis or not, he was a, a long-term piece of that group. You trusted him. Yeah. And he outperformed what you probably expected, but you still felt okay when Pete Werner went down and like, okay, we're going to put Caden in. That's the plan. Right now, I don't know what the plan is. Like, you don't have a guy like that that you've been developing. It's like Alex Anzalone would be that guy. He's gone, right? Like, like there's all these pieces that have gone out the door. Quan Alexander, Alex Anzalone, Caden Ellis, that you really don't have that guy you trust. And you don't want your season to be impacted by the fact that you're throwing a guy out there who's getting torched because you didn't prepare for it. So I think we're on the same page there. Um, if, if the Saints had a linebacker, I would be happy about it. No, and obviously... Uh, you know, you look at the list of free agents and to see a DeAndre Hopkins and Dalvin Cook, you, you kind of like rub your eyes a little bit like, wait a minute, what's going on? I mean, it's, it's, that's the case every year with some of these players, right? Like Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, like the, there's guys that kind of hang out. Like Jarvis Landry's a free agent right now. 
what if someone gets hurt in camp and, and suddenly it's like, hey, Jarvis, you have you want to you want to try it out again? And I wouldn't be surprised. At it, but there's going to be so much that gets determined. This is kind of a uh, silly conversation to get into at this point, because until like the injuries and health are going to dictate so much. But yeah. I do think that we've we've I think those are the two positions is defensive line and linebacker that feel the thinnest right now. And so we can wrap that segment up. But we're going to come back. We're going to talk more about Chris Olave and expectations for him. He did an interview with Jim Rome. So we're going to listen to some of that. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. He's Steve Geller at Steve Geller WWL. You can follow the pod on Twitter at Saints underscore pod. Not to be confused with Saints pod, which does exist. It's not us. Saints underscore pod. And uh, yeah, we'll be right back. I almost said sports talk. On inside, black gold. I haven't even hosted sports talk in like a week at this point, and I'm still saying it. That's how ingrained it is in my in my brain right now. But I was gonna say you're all messed up from CWS stuff anyway. Yeah. Uh, gosh, my my entire schedule, my entire last few weeks has been completely just erased from my brain. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to the next month of basically nothing. But we will be doing podcasts, so we're gonna have to come up with ideas and. I wanted to talk about Chris Olave in this segment because I think Chris Olave, his growth from year one to year two is as big of a story as any the Saints will encounter this season. Obviously, you got to have Derek Carr. He's got to play up to snuff. You want to see Michael Thomas get back to his form. But if Chris Olave can take that step forward into kind of star wide receiver, the star wide receiver echelon, which I think he was close to but not quite in last year, this team can go a long way. Yeah, to me, what he put up last season was really impressive, obviously, because he was really wide receiver one when you look at it with the injuries the team had. Michael Thomas goes down, Jarvis Landry, and there's the rookie left to carry the wide receiving core. And yeah, he, he had a, a pretty significant rookie season. Uh, What was it? Uh, 70 some odd catches. Over a thousand yards. Seventy-two catches, like eleven hundred something yards. Yeah, only four touchdowns. That's the one that you wish was, to me at least. I wish that was in the six to seven range, but the Saints' offense struggled to put up points in the entire season, so that's not a surprise there. See, I'm not. I'm not as concerned about the the touchdowns because I think you have elite red zone weapons, and so I don't need him to necessarily be that. Like he's gonna score in, in his chances. I was concerned about the yak, which basically was non-existent. And the one game all season that I think you saw really good yak out of him was uh, that week, <laughs> the week 18 game against the Panthers when Ugh. he caught that touchdown. I think it was the opening drive and just kind of turned and got upfield. It was like 25 yards of yak and he scored a touchdown. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's the hidden yardage here. 72 catches for Chris Olave you should be looking at a lot more than a th- than a thousand yards, right? Like that, you, these should be big plays, and that's what I think frustrated me is a lot of them were spot catches, and I think Derek Carr is going to play a big role in getting Chris Olave opportunities in situations where he can catch, turn upfield, and run because it's not necessarily his fault that he's not getting yak if he's catching the ball and getting tackled immediately. But I think it's a team effort, and you know he talked about Chris Olave went on the Jim Rome show uh, and talked about. 
Derek Carr and kind of his relationship there. And uh, there's that. Here's that audio. Looking ahead to year number two, you've got a new quarterback this year in Derek Carr. What are your impressions of him so far as a player and as a leader? What's that been like? Man, I love him. Uh, I love him as a person. And uh, he's, a, he's a great leader on and off the field. That's, a, that's what you ask for as a receiver, uh, especially a young receiver. So uh, he's definitely helped me uh, better my game and get better myself. Uh, we all know we, what he could do on the field, but uh, just him being there for me off the field and even on the field, I feel like that helped me a lot. And it's, it's, it's helping us build our chemistry. Chris, that's something like you just said that like you were really quick to say, oh, I love this guy. I love this guy. Is it like a personal thing? Like was he able to connect with you on a personal level or is he the kind of guy professionally that you know is going to make you and the team better? Like what do you love so much about this guy? Uh, it's kind of both. Uh, I know, like you said, just professionally, he's, he's a great dude. and uh, he, he carries himself the right way on and off the field. So uh, it's something to look up to and, uh, as, a, as a leader. Uh, something you look at and uh, just studying success. Uh, just the the years he's been in the league, he's been one of the top quarterbacks. So, uh, and as a person, he's just a great person uh, with a great family, and uh, that rubs off on people. So, one of the cliches that Derek Carr threw out there that I hadn't heard before, but I do appreciate, and I'm going to repeat it here, even though it's a cliche and it's silly. He says like, if you want to go far, go or no, sorry, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, and. I do think that he genuinely means that. And you hear things like this from Chris Olave and you've heard quotes like this from a lot of people is like, he's not just trying to incorporate himself in a locker room. He's trying to incorporate himself into the lives of these people. And I think like when you're a quarterback and a wide receiver, that's important. You can't just be a guy who says, okay, run 12 steps that way. And I'm going to throw you the ball. You need to be in sync with these people. You need to see inside their heads. And I think that at times last year, you saw, this offense kind of be disjointed and not on the same page. And Chris Olave is doing something and Andy Dalton is doing something else. And that's the type of thing that I think with a full off season working with a guy, you, you can, you can kind of avoid and you need to do that at warp speed this off season. Cause you don't have three, four seasons to work up that chemistry. It's got to get there now. And so, you know, I, what, I think you're at a point where everyone's going to say the right thing anyway, but it is good to hear that this young wide receiver and this old head quarterback are kind of connecting this quickly. I know it's funny you say warp speed and you're, you're right. I mean, it's a, it's a whole new ball game with Carr in town and it's tough. Obviously the things last year with Andy Dalton, he wasn't expected to be your number one quarterback ended up turning into being that guy did. Okay. He was Mr. You know, league average. I think, you know, you you've said it before in the past, you know, Mr. Mid or whatever, you know, like, uh, what's his Mr. name? Mr. Mid. <laughs> Sounds like a Fantastic Four character. Mr. League Average uh, is uh, in Minnesota. Cousins. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I think even he was a tick under that, Dalton. Didn't even have, as, as I would say, a good a year as even a, a Cousins. He had a much better year than I would have expected. And I think he rode that wave of surprise <laughs> a long way. He was not good. He was good enough. And that's... That's just like in the NFL, it's not going to get it done. In the NFC South, it almost was good enough. Right. Um, but it was never good enough to say like, oh, this team could could do some damage in the playoffs. It was maybe good enough to say, could this team sneak into the playoffs with a losing record? So, yeah. And and I mean, like you look at it, it's like, yeah, your backup quarterback on week one was throwing to your wide receiver three on week one, right? 
Like that was your offense by the end. Yeah, exactly. The results were, were as expected. But I do think if you can get Derek Carr, Chris Olave, Mike Thomas, Rashid Shahid, Jawan Johnson, all on the field and producing, I didn't even mention Alvin Kamara. I still feel good about it. Taysom Hill too. Taysom Hill. There's a lot of weapons, and it's just like, can you get this offense to look like it's supposed to look like? That was the frustrating part is every game last year, you were like halfway into it and be like, where'd the offense go? What happened? Why has this been so easily taken away? It's part on the quarterback. It's part on the skill positions. It's part on the offensive coordinator. Everyone's got to be better. And one of those people who has to be better is Mike Thomas, because you can't be better if you're not there. And this is what uh, Chris Olave had to say on Mike Thomas. They obviously know each other pretty well. They both went to Ohio State. So Mike Thomas has been something of an idol to Chris Olave, just like Ted Ginn, who is now helping out the wide receivers, has been an idol to Mike Thomas and Chris Olave, all Ohio State guys. And so this is what Chris had to say on Mike Thomas. Obviously, it's going to be a different offense and a really different team in a number of regards, especially if Michael Thomas is on the field consistently. It's been a challenge of late because of all the injuries. But how does he look to you right now? And if he is on the field consistently, how explosive is that offense going to be? No, we got a really explosive. We got a lot of different weapons, man. Uh, we got Mike out there. We all know what he could do on the field when he's healthy. Uh, he's probably one of the best, if not the best receiver in NFL. So uh, I'm excited to have him back, man. He's looking good. He's looking strong, big. Uh, like I said, uh, we, uh, we're looking forward to having an explosive offense, and uh, we're excited about it. He said strong and big, and we saw Mike deadlifting some big weights again. Everyone's getting really excited about these deadlifts. I want to see him running around. <laughs> but, I mean, yes, he does look big. He looks strong, and that's always been a part of Mike's game. I need to see him cutting. That's what I'm worried about. Like, I, good. I'm glad he can lift a lot of heavy weights. That's not what I need to see to feel good about Mike Thomas. But it is still nice. To, I mean, like, he's working. I think that's the takeaway is he's working. And yeah, with that weight, it's like, is he blocking? Is what's he, what's he doing? I don't know. I don't know what, how heavy is a football, right? <laughs> I'm glad he's strong. And I think, but like, I'm joking, you know, when you deal with lower body injuries, right? The only, you can't really do a ton. You kind of just have to hope your body doesn't let you down. But one of the things you can do, and I've dealt with a lot of knee injuries and ankle injuries. So I, I've had to do this too, is you strengthen the muscles around those weak points so that, the muscles can help protect the joints and the, you know, there's not so much you can do about your toes. You can't really strengthen your toes, but especially the ankle. It's like, okay, if you're, if your knees are strong, if your calves are strong, if your quads are strong, that's going to help support your body. And so that's why if you're Mike Thomas, you're lifting heavy weights, you're trying to build up your lower body so that he can support you. And yeah, that's kind of my, my harebrained uh, medical analysis. Don't don't quote me. I'm no David Chow. I do um, wish, I do wish that Mike was bringing Olave along for some of those weightlifting sessions. Maybe he is. Who knows? <laughs> Chris, you know, it's funny because Chris. Uh, they mentioned this about Marshawn Lattimore. Derek Carr did, and I think Chris is the same way. Of like, there are guys who post all their workouts on social media. They just you know it's just something they do. It's a motivational yeah. thing, and like then there are guys who you know are working but are not posting all their stuff on social media. You see Marshawn Lattimore show up. He's doing work. He's working in the off season. He's just not showing it to you on social media. I think Chris Olave is similar. You know, like when you see stuff about Chris Olave on social media, it's because he's working with Mike Thomas and, and then Mike's posting something about it, right? Like Chris is a guy who does the work on his own, but I, that is a good segue. And, and these are just props that I invented. I looked up to see if I could find any actual props and I couldn't, but so I'm going to give you some over-unders here. 
All right. I'm going to ask you to answer them. All right, I'm ready. So first off, over under 100 catches for Chris Olave. What would you put it at? I will put under on the 100 catches. I think it'll be closer to that 85 to 90 range. I don't think he'll leap up into the 100 catch range just because of hopefully a healthy Michael Thomas and the rest of the other weapons around him. He won't need to be that much of a target. I agree with you. I think, and that is the same reasoning I had. If Michael Thomas is there, there are not 100 catches to be had by Chris Olave. He might get close he, he, if he plays all 17 games, which he didn't last year. He missed multiple games. And I think you might see him tick up. But I also, I'm not sure I want to see him catching 100 passes. I want to see him making big plays. I want to see him making splash plays down the field, catch and run plays where you're cut, you're, you're just cutting off 50 yards in one in one gash and you're, and you're putting pressure on the defense. That's what I want to see more. So I agree with you there. Over under 1,250 yards. Ooh, that's good, man. That's that's a good number. And I'm gonna I'm going to say hopefully over because yeah, I want to see those yak yards go up and um just in general see more of Olave's speed. And you know, we we see how smooth and silky he runs in training camp in these practices. I want to see more of that translate onto game days in year two and think that, you know, he'll he'll be afforded that and be able to get into that. Uh, that's a that's a really sweet spot that 1200 1300 yard range but I'll, I'll go over that yeah it's it's a tough one to project i think the way i'll put it is your expectations have to be over yeah right like what it's it's kind of one of those like okay are we predicting it or are we assessing it and if you're looking at chris Olave and you're saying what do i need chris Olave to do this year 1400 yards receiving is probably there like i i need big plays and i need him to be consistent and so if that's if that happens over the course of 16, 17 games, I would expect more than 1,250 yards. Now, the next one is, I think, a bigger question. Over under seven touchdowns. That's another good you got you got good betting numbers. I, I like that too. Oof. Yeah, I'll actually, be, I'll give you a hook. I'll give you six and a half. Over under six and a half touchdowns. All right, I'll go over then. Cause yeah, I think that seven, eight range is the sweet spot for me. Um, he had four last year. Uh, would definitely think you could double that number with a Derek Carr. Sure, there's like we've been talking about, there's these offensive weapons in the mix, but I just think Olave is um, one of those, the, the key guys on this offense that's got to be getting into the end zone. See, I, I disagree with you there. I'm going under on touchdowns, and this is a hopeful under for me. And the reason is, like I, like I mentioned, I'm not going under on touchdowns because I don't think Chris Olave can catch touchdowns. I'm going under because I think that there are a lot of pieces on this offense that are going to be, that are going to be picking up touchdowns. And if for Chris Olave to go over six and a half, it would probably be a sign that one of two things is happening. One, either this offense is incredibly prolific and is scoring all the time. And, and if that's the case, then great. More likely it's because you're playing a lot of games without Alvin Kamara. You're playing a lot of games without Mike Thomas. You're playing a lot of games without Juwan Johnson, or Juwan is not as big a part of the offense that you wanted him to be. Jamal Williams is suddenly not cashing in at the goal line, and so you're throwing the ball out. Like that's, I, I think if I'm if I'm hoping for numbers, it is sub 100 catches. I agree with you in about the 85 range, over 1250 yards. So your yards per catch is high, your yak is high, and you're and you're picking up big chunks of yardage, and you're setting up for your elite red zone weapons 
to do their work in the red zone. Taysom Hill, Jawan Johnson, Jamal Williams, Mike Thomas. So that's why I'm going under. But again, that's a hopeful under. It's not, it's not okay, Chris Olave has a monster season. Great. I think for this team to be at its best, you want to see other people picking up touchdowns. No, I mean, you mentioned that there, even with Jamal Williams, I can only imagine how many TDs he's going to end up vulturing away from Alvin Kamara this season. He had 17 touchdowns last year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely amazing. <laughs> right. I, I think he, he had more rushing touchdowns than the entire Saints roster combined. I oh. mean, Al, like Taysom led them with seven. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. The offense definitely needs to take – we better be that prolific offense you're talking about because, you know, you brought the QB in, you paid him, and with a healthy – allotment of weapons around him there's no reason that this team can't be i'm not going to say a a top tier offense in the league but they should be in the top 10 range i would imagine you'd hope you know and and i and i do think that there is going to be a a learning curve here anytime you add a new quarterback it's not it's never going to be perfect i i want to see this offense be efficient at the beginning of the season and get better as the year goes on i think last year you saw them get a little worse as the year went on you know, those last couple of weeks, it was like, hmm, this is very much canned offense. Like, sometimes it works, most of the time it doesn't. And that was just not something you saw with Drew Brees. Like, when you had Drew Brees under, under center, you know, those week 15 games against the Panthers, it was like, oh, they're going to blow them out of the water because the Saints have been improving steadily throughout the <laughs> course of the year. The Panthers have been getting worse. And that was the case in a lot of late-season games. Remember the Bengals game? I want to say for week 14, Andy Dalton was the quarterback. By the end of it, the Bengals mascot was banging his head on the ground in frustration. Like, that was in Cincinnati. I think it was like 58 to nothing or something insane. The Eagles game where Drew Brees threw to four undrafted receivers for touchdowns. Like, those are the types of games that we you expect to see from this Saints offense late in the year. And you just have to hold serve early in the year to the point where you can make that late season push. And not doing that last year is the reason you missed the playoffs. Same thing about, well, not necessarily the year before that. That was a, that was an injury thing, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta get, you got to, you have need the offense to be at its best at the end of the season. Yeah. Just in all, we, we saw way too much of the struggle to move the ball down the field and especially bottle up. It seemed when she got in the red zone, uh, uh, hoping, yeah, Derek Carr is a huge flip to that this season. I think the Saints averaged 19 points a game last year, and that that's just not going to cut it. Nope. All right. I think that's all I have on Derek Carr, but I do have one more rant I want to get off before um, we move on. So the Jets are appearing to be the 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 hard knocks pick. Since, you know, Aaron Rodgers, New York market. Yeah, I think anyone could have probably seen this coming in terms of who does the NFL want the most, right? Hard Knocks can force one of four teams, the Jets, the Panthers, I'm sorry, the Jets, the Saints, the Commanders, and the Bears onto Hard Knocks. It's because they have don't have a first-year head coach, they haven't been on in the last 10 years, and they have not made the playoffs in either of the last two seasons. My issue is not so much with the idea that the Jets are going to be on hard knocks. It is with, if you are learning information from aggregators on Twitter, know that there's like an 80% chance that if it's not just straight up wrong, it is 
possibly <laughs> misinterpreted. And I'm going to go through this example right here. And we were talking about this before we came on. And it annoys me because I end up getting questions about stuff that it's like, no, this has never been the case. Why are we, why, why does are everyone confused? And it's because stuff like this happens. So Mike Florio, a pro football talk yesterday, he writes a post that literally the context of the post says the Jets are bracing for an involuntary hard knocks assignment. That's the reporting. Mike Florio is saying that the Jets are preparing themselves for something they have said they don't want. And that is to be forced onto hard knocks. It is not saying that they are being forced onto hard knocks. It is saying that they are expecting to be forced onto hard knocks. Within minutes, Dov Kleiman, who I complain about all the time, he has almost 200,000 followers on Twitter, and he just aggregates stuff. He just steals content from other people, posts it, and then at the end says like, oh, by the way, they reported this. The problem is he does it all the time and he gets it wrong. So what did I just say? The Jets are bracing for being selected on hard knocks. They have not yet been selected on hard knocks. Well, how does he phrase it in his tweet, which has been quote tweeted 500 times, 700 retweets, whatever. Report, Cohen, Jets will be the hard knocks team this season, comma, a source tells Mike Florio. I think that would be news to Mike Florio because that's not what he reported. And it drives me insane because it's like, how simple is this? We're playing a game of telephone. Ah, it's so annoying to me. But that's just where we're at with with reporting, where it's like people are reporting on reporting and getting the reporting wrong. So like uh, anytime you see that, maybe take a second and go look at the original context that he is pulling it from, because this happens all the time and it is annoying. And it's just this is why misinformation spreads. And, you know, I think the Jets probably are going to be the team that gets picked on the hard knocks. And so he'll never have to answer for like mistakenly reporting this. But when, you know, the commanders get picked and everyone's like, well, why? I can't imagine why. What, what, what happened? I thought the Jets were the team. And like, well, actually, no, this is just an idiot getting the news wrong because he's not the one who's actually reporting. Anyway, that's my that's my rant. And it's annoying, but whatever. That idiot, too. Also, the, the terrible news or the terrible misreporting of the news about. John Gruden's involvement with the Saints reared its head to me recently right. again at a family gathering. I had someone tell me, oh, so the Saints hired John Gruden as a coach. That's got to be really good heading into this year. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He has not been hired by the team, please. But yeah. Yeah, that, that's still something that's out there that a lot of people, I guess, have bought into after someone like a Dove Kleiman, you know, put out there that, they were putting, they were bringing Gruden in on the staff and that's not correct. Right. And, and it's like, yeah, this is an account that looks official as 200,000 followers. It's verified because he spends $8 a month. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, all it takes is you reading something and reposting it in a way that is inaccurate, which is what he did and says, John Gruden's returning to the NFL. I'm like, well, no, that's not what happened. But then it's like, you have to spend weeks beating back this misinformation and like, not only was that misinformation, it created this entire flood of resentment toward the Saints for doing something they didn't do. And it's like, I'm not a gatekeeper for the Saints. They can fight their own battles. But Jesus, this is stupid. If, if you're not getting your, your news from like the people who are reporting it locally and you're just getting it from like ML football and these guys who just troll around and try to steal content from people, just be aware that what you're reading is, is maybe 80% based in fact. That's all I'm saying. What's amazing to to me too is like you said, this guy has tons of followers that are just 
I don't, I don't, I don't know if you blindly or 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 just accepting this news that you you have to know that a lot of it is is a, is going to be wrong. I get. I, I mean, it's just how Twitter is, right? Like that's just how the 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 news cycle is, and there's only so much you can do about it. And, and I don't even have an issue with aggregators so much as I have an issue with poorly done aggregating. Yeah. That that is making things more confusing. It's like if you are not going to be able to summarize that information correctly then don't do it. Just retweet it. But if there's money, and I guess he writes for a bro Bible now, which great. That's where I want to get my sports news is bro Bible. But that's it. That's not even what this podcast is about. It just, it just really annoys me. And I saw that tweet and I was like, oh, wow, the Jets got picked on hard knocks. And then I did like 10 seconds of digging and I was Same like, thing, right. this does it all. Okay. No, it's, it's frustrating. Like I said, it was like, it popped up again this weekend when I had a family member say, Oh, John Gruden's on the Saints staff. And I was like, wow, we're, we're around it constantly, obviously. So we know about the misinformation, but other folks are still out there. There are still a faction of folks that obviously believe that John Gruden is a saint. I mean, you're just scrolling through Twitter and you see something that looks official and you're going to believe it, right? That's one of my main issues with the whole verified system on Twitter now. It's like the check marks mean nothing. It can just be your rent, your, your cousin who has $8 from his allowance. <laughs> it's like, you know what? I'm verified today. Let me report some news. Anyway, it, it's just annoying. And uh, I, I just needed to get that off my chest. But anyway, that's it. I'm going to let Steve go because he has a show to host this afternoon. He's going to hang out with Bobby Bear. Actually, no, it's going to be just you and Mike, correct? No, Bobby's in and we'll be, yes, rejoicing over the LSU win. Yeah, so he's going to be hanging out with Bobby Bear. This will post after that show, so I don't know why I'm why I'm promoting it, but Steve will be on there the rest of this week too, WWL AM 870 FM 105.3 and on the Odyssey app. We'll be back out there on Friday. We'll finally have a Friday show for the first time in what feels like a month, so check that out. But okay, this has been Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Noack. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Noack. He's Steve Geller at Steve Geller WWL. Follow us on Twitter at Saints underscore pod. And we're going to be getting back into it. we got a month, about a month before training camp. I think they're going to start late June. They haven't officially announced the dates, but I know July, late Jeff July. Duncan reported June 20, or July 24th uh, as the date. So I'm sure we'll be getting the actual dates soon, but that's what we're looking forward to. But all right, y'all. Thanks, Steve. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Tigers. Go Tigers.